You're listening to Gospel Theory, a Call to Learn audio podcast. For more information about Call to Learn, visit calledtolearn.com. That's calledtolearn.com. Thank you for listening. All right, welcome to Gospel Theory, where we find Christ through all of the myths, the rumors, and all of those incorrect definitions. Today we have a special guest with us. We have Lark Galley here, and I think it's our first guest now, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so exciting! And um, she has recently written a book called "Learning to Breathe Again," and she has gone through a very, very big um, transition in her life where her son committed suicide. It's been a year now, right? Actually, twenty months. Oh, it's been twenty months. Wow. Okay, so it's been a while, and she has drastically changed her whole perspective on life and on on her relationships, and so we want to talk to her about that. We also want to um, invite you to think about the myths around um, suicide, uh, specifically around the murder of, that, that suicide is murder, and that you don't get to go to heaven for that. So we want to see if we can debunk that myth today, as well as many others. So... Lark, thank you. Thank you so much for coming. We really appreciate you being here with us today. And I appreciate this opportunity to to speak out about this, especially in a a gospel-centered environment, because I do think that uh, a lot of people active in the church uh, might have some misconceptions uh, about, you know, what happens after, after death. I feel I'm fairly active, I think, and I feel that I have learned quite a bit in, in, my relationships and what happens afterwards and, and what's going on. And I just, I think that we don't know the whole story and it's been interesting and enlightening. Wow. Great. Great. So why don't we start with um, you just telling us about who you are, um, about maybe about your family before this happened and then, um, and then what, what your, what your message is, like what you want to bring across to the world and, and shout from the rooftop, right? <laughs> sure. sure. Um, you know, it, it, I like talking with people like you who knew me before my son died, because I was a very driven a type personality, you know, as we talked about earlier, like uh, get out of my way. I have goals. I'm going to take on the world. I call myself a serial entrepreneur. I was in the corporate world for 25 years, then one off on my own. I still run multiple businesses and I'm doing all these things. And my goals were always about financial, you know, becoming like the next multimillionaire and just more and more and more. And, and that was kind of a way I saw maybe living the gospel in a sense is like improving on my talents and being all that I could be and, and getting those things done that, that really, mm-hmm. you know, and so that's how I felt increased my talents. Um, we have, you know, you asked me to tell you about my family, which is interesting because three years ago, if you had said, how many children do you have? I would have said I had, I had three, you know, a, a daughter, a son and a daughter. Well, about this time, three years ago, my husband, who's from New Orleans, who is a convert, got a phone call from a 27 year old young man and said, I, I think you're my daddy. No way. <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> so if you've seen the Elf movie, mm-hmm. I yeah. jokingly say that was patterned after our life. That's not <laughs> true, you know, but, but it was it was wow. a miracle. So now I say that we have four children because, um, and not only did we inherit a son, 
who was married and had four kids, wow. we became overnight grandparents, which was, that was more shocking than the son part, right? Because yeah. I'm, not, I'm like, usually you have at least nine months to prepare, you know, that you're going <laughs> to yeah. And it was like, and not just one, but four, right? And so wow. that, that was kind of a struggle. I'm like, I, I, I'm, I, I said to myself, I'm not old enough to be a grandma. Now, quite frankly, I, I am old enough to be a grandma, but I didn't <laughs> yeah. feel like it, right? Yeah, so yeah. that was kind of a perception. But I want to just say about that, it has been a beautiful blessing in our lives. Oh, Beautiful blessing. We have integrated with that family. Like my older daughter said, after we were on a trip last year, we went to Disney World together. This was after my son died. She said, I feel like I have known Caleb all my life. Oh, wow. wow. And their family, like, we couldn't be more opposite each other in every way before we met, but we have just solidified and we love each other. We're getting ready to go on a trip together uh, next week for the week of Thanksgiving, uh, assuming, you know, like the world doesn't burn down between yes. all the, the hurricanes <laughs> that are happening, right? And, yeah. and all the, uh, the COVID and all of that. But mm -hmm. um, we just enjoy being together. And I think what a tender mercy to bring this family into our lives that has, those grandchildren have truly helped bring our family together and heal us Wow. when, when there might not have been as much healing. Wow, what a blessing. That's incredible. So, um, and, I, and I talk about a lot in my book about, you know, my earlier, first of all, my childhood, which was completely screwed up because my father was undiagnosed bipolar. That helped a lot in writing that chapter. And I wasn't going to put that in because, you know, why tell all our dirty, dark secrets that are so yeah. embarrassing, right? Yeah. But a friend of mine said, who knew me in high school said, you need to talk about this you need to talk about the fact that I saw you hoarding food because I didn't know if I'd have enough to eat the next day. And what was interesting is that I didn't remember doing that, which tells me that it was a normal occurrence. Because if, if you don't remember something, it's just part of your regular life, right? But if you, yeah. you usually remember what was different and I'm like, oh my goodness, that, that is weird. And so I wrote it, a lot of things down, which, which were interesting and it helped me on two ways. First, my niece said, I learned more about your that chapter in your book than anything when talking to my mom because my my sister just would not talk about her youth, right? She wow. she would say it was hard and that was it. Yeah. And the other thing I learned is that I parent, the way I parent, I was very, very structured. Uh, my son accused me of being OCD. I was, everything has a place, you know, and, and we need to keep things clean and tidy and structured and all of that. I realized that because I had so little structure and so little control mm -hmm. as a child with my life and my environment that I went to the opposite end as an adult. And that, that was my coping skill. Yeah. And then I, I talk about, you know, before I married my current husband, how my, my husband of seven years left me six months pregnant after three years of infertility. Right. Yeah. And, and going through that. Um, and the reason I talk a lot about that is that I feel like I went through a lot of hardship before my son died. Mm -hmm. For me, this is going to shock some people. And it, it shocked my, my uh, neighbor when I told her this, my son's suicide was not the hardest thing that has ever happened to me, which can kind of shock you, but it should help you mm -hmm. understand that, you know, I've, I've had a lot of hard things happen. Mm -hmm. Now, in retrospect, my, my husband who retired last year from 35 years in the military, who's been to Afghanistan, who's been to Iraq, I did not think that my son's suicide would be the hardest thing for him. He, he found my son who shot himself. Mm. 
And my husband said, absolutely not. This, this was the most the difficult thing in his life was my son's suicide, uh, which shocked mm -hmm. me because he had been involved in life and death decisions where things that he did and decided as a commander affected lives. Yeah. And, you know, I know the burden that has been placed on him coming home, the PTSD that he had and, and the, the thoughts about, did I make the right decision? And it affected this person and this person's life forever because of, of what I decided. Mm -hmm. And yet this finding our son, um, he was hallucinating two days after it brought back all of, mm. all of the PTSD, all of the things that he had seen. And, and he was out, out on the, the line, so to speak. He was outside the wire. He was living amongst the Afghan army with maybe five, six other Americans. His life was in danger every time. So for him to say that that was the most awful thing that ever happened, I was like, wow, we, we take things on differently. We perceive things differently yes, and, and the grief and all that. Um, and so that's kind of our family where, where we have come. Uh, you know, I met my husband and married him. Uh, when my, after my first husband left, we've been together now 20, I have to think about this, 23 years of marriage, oh. you know, and, and I will say this, um, it's not been an easy marriage. We're both very intense personalities, <laughs> uh, really. Into, uh, when I would try to describe my husband, people would say, well, tell me about your husband. I'm like, he's me on steroids. And they would say, oh, <laughs> like scary. Yeah. <laughs> and and yet it's, I think we, and he became converted to the gospel through his first wife, who was not an active member of, of the church. Oh, interesting. He was in New Orleans. I was in San Francisco. My husband, you know, just flat out leaves me. He leaves the country. I can't even find him. Wow. I moved back to Salt Lake. His first wife, who's from Salt Lake, um, decides that, hey, I'm not going to stay married to you. She moves home to mama. And he comes to Salt Lake, converts and tries to work the marriage out and it's just not working out. And we meet a couple years after he's moved to Utah, converted. And I see God's hand in that so, mm -hmm. so amazingly, right? And so I just lay this groundwork for saying, I, I've been through struggles and I completely trust the Lord. And, uh, and then just going through a second marriage, you know, with, with a child that wasn't his biologically, although, you know, he ended up adopting her later. And I will say his family completely accepted her. Uh, my, my, my young daughter, you know, my first one, you would never know that she was not his biological daughter. It's, wow. it's been beautiful. And just, and just like I've accepted Caleb, his biological son, you know, and, and grandchildren and all that. Mm -hmm. It it's, it's a choice, right? It's a yeah. choice who's your family is and who you love. And, and if you're willing to give love unconditionally. Yeah, absolutely. It's beautiful. Wow. What a beautiful family story. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and not the traditional, we all go through different no, no. routes, right? No, no but, no. but, but that's another thing, you know, as um, I was very depressed, I would say almost suicidal when my first husband left me because we had been married in the temple and, you know, don't, don't you stay together forever and all of these things. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and that was difficult for me because I, I was shaken. And if it hadn't been for my daughter that I was pregnant with, I probably would have said, well, what's life worth living for? Because, you know, everything, all the things I believed and I had grown up to think were true. It just seemed like it was gone. And I had to establish a really strong dependency and relationship with, with God. I think that's important to 
especially our demographic, our viewers. Um, you know, there's a, well, I've talked to a lot of our listeners and a lot of them have had come from weird, different families that they thought that they thought that that wasn't how it was supposed to be, but ended up being the biggest blessing in their lives. Yeah. You know, it's just, God always works it out. It's really incredible. Exactly. And, and I feel the same way. I, I, this is what I think, you know, if you find anybody out there who, who thinks, you know, my life is going to be step one, two, three, four, five, it's going to be perfect. <laughs> We're never going to have any problems. I mean, seriously, who do you know that that is even the case, right? We, we have all had heartbreak. We've all experienced something that's been difficult. And yet, as hard as this is to say, I am a better person because of what my son taught me and through his death. What I want to take away who I am today because of that event. Wow. Yeah. So, and probably not. <laughs> that's very wise. You know, it's not easy that most people don't think that way. You know, most people think oh, I'll, I'll, I'll give, I'll give anything for that not to happen to me or I do anything to fix my past, but you just roll with it. And that's right. really amazing. You know, and the, and the thing is we can have regrets, but we need to get over guilt. And here's something I found out. A lot of times we say, I feel guilty because, well, the true definition of guilt is to do something with the intent to harm. Did I ever intend to harm my child? Mm. Did I ever intend to do something that would hurt someone else? And mm. so let's remove this word guilt because we're using it in the wrong way and say, I regret. Um, the other thing that's helped me is that I've really had to focus on is controlling my thoughts because this is huge. You know, Joseph Smith talks about faith and it's, it's holding our thoughts in that faith pattern. And I, I have had to catch myself because I would, in the beginning after my son's death, I would say, well, what if he hadn't killed himself? And you start that spiral and you can yeah. just go down right really fast and into a dark hole. Yeah. And, and what's easier to let those thoughts spiral and go down or to catch it and actively say, no, I don't live in a universe where my son can suddenly come back to life or right. that he's, he's, you know, that, that I can go back in time and er erase all of these terrible things. That's not reality. And I, I've seen people who are stuck in what they wish they could change when there is no possible way in our universe right now, that that is possible. Yeah. And so when I started doing that and then say, well, what, what, let's just pretend, what if he hadn't? And I would have to tell myself, I don't live in that universe. I, that is not my reality. Now, because he has chosen this, what can I do to make the world a better place? I can't go back. I can't change the past. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I have to live in order to move forward, in order to find some kind of meaning in my life. That's what I have to do. Mm -hmm. Lurk, I love that. What a great definition changer and a way to approach that feeling of guilt and just saying, I do not live in this universe. That's like flipping yourself around and going back up now, right? Exactly. And up that spiral. I exactly. love that. Thank you for and, sharing and, that. You know, I have to do that to stay in a positive mindset. I have yeah. to do it. And is it easy all the time? No, it's not easy. Yeah. And it's, it's not a choice that many people make. 
Yeah. But what a great tool to teach other people, right? I mean, that that by itself, just using those words, I do not live in a universe like this. That is powerful tool to be able to flip that idea in your mind and just go back up. Right. That is powerful. I'm glad. And here's another thing that I've learned through this. Um, in the church, we often put a lot of pressure on ourselves as parents. I know I did, right? Yeah. I literally, up until my son's death, I literally thought in some subconscious way, I am my child's savior. If mm -hmm. I do not force and push and dictate and they make a mistake, it's all on me, right? Because yeah. the, the parents are supposed to teach the children, right? Yeah. And you and you have this, this balance because we want our children to do well. We want them to excel and to be all that they can be. But at what point have we pushed them so far that they feel too much pressure. It's more than they can take. And they, they end up doing something really stupid and up to taking their life, which I kind of feel is what happened with my son, you know, that it, the pressure was too much for him, but he didn't speak out and, and kind of speak up about it. And that's the issue that we have as parents. And so I have taken away the responsibility to save my children. I've taken that off my shoulders. Yeah. And when I did that, that mm. burden, I was like, wow, I don't have to do that my responsibility and my definition of myself as a parent is to love them no matter what and to guide them and i want to create an environment in my home that no matter what happens that my children feel safe with me because you know we see a lot of suicides earlier when especially in the in the lds community with people coming and saying i'm gay their parents shunning them kicking them out mm -hmm. of the house and then they they go and you know, they end their lives. Is that the story you want to create for your family? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. And so, so I want to create an environment where if my child comes home and says, mom, I got my girlfriend pregnant or mom, um, I'm gay. Love and accept and guide. They're already struggling. Youth are already struggling, you know, yeah, yeah. especially in COVID. I think young, young adults, like he's like, you know, with your age group, there's a lot of fear and uncertainty. What does my future look like? The world is so crazy. Yeah. There, you have no idea. <laughs> I go through that every single day. And In fact, just this day. morning, you were saying how much anxiety you have since COVID that yeah, you've never had before. I've never had it before. Yeah. I've never had anxiety before. And I've had depression. I've had suicidal thoughts. And Yeah. But uh, yeah, this, this world is pretty crazy. It's just ramped it up. You know, this is what I say. We as parents cannot parent the way our, that we were parented. Yeah. And we do that so often. We, well, my parents <laughs> did this and I turned out okay. Okay, well, guess what? If we parent the way our parents parented, our kids are not going to turn out okay. They have pressures that we can't even understand. I tried to say it like this. Think of the stupidest thing you did in high school and maybe 10 people knew, right? The most embarrassing thing, 10 people knew. If your child who's in, in school right now, if they do something stupid, it's not 10 people that know. A hundred, a thousand, 10,000. And they believe their life is over. Yeah. And, and that's not the case. And yet their brains are not developed to say it will get better. They just mm -hmm. think right now it's over. I can never move forward from this. And so we have got to be more understanding of situations um, and, and help them check in with their mental wellness. Uh, in my book, I tell uh, that when my son was six, 15, 16, he, he said to his, my father, excuse me, my husband was giving him the, the parental talk. 
you're starting sophomore year, you've got to buckle down. And he's putting all this pressure on him because of my husband's military training. He looked at my son and he could see my son disengaging. And my husband had the presence of mind to say, are you feeling suicidal? Which is huge because sometimes we say, are you going to hurt yourself? And the people that are hurting are like, no, I'm not going to hurt myself. I'm going to end this pain because I hurt. Yeah. And my son said, yes, which kind of shocked us. We were able to get him some help. And for two months, you know, he went in the first time he went into the therapist, he talked to her. I came in the room and, and she said to my son, do you want to tell your mom or should I? And I'm like, oh, what's this? And he said, I'll tell her, mom, I don't believe in God. I believe in science. He was you know, very intellectual and he just couldn't reconcile that there was a God with science. And, and fortunately, you know, he was looking at me like I'm going to scream and yell and tantrum. And I'm just like, son, I cannot make you believe in God. I believe in God. I believe God is science, but you know, you're going to walk your path. And I think yeah. he was kind of shocked that I, that I was as accepting of him as, as all of that. Yeah. And, and that's the thing that we need to be prepared for. But my regret is that after the two months he went to the therapist, he said, mom, I'm good. I don't need to go back. I never had another talk with him about mental health because he seemed okay. Yeah. He seemed happy. He had activities. He had friends. He wasn't, you know, what you'd say suicidal. Yeah. And yet that was all going on underneath. He was struggling and, and we didn't touch base and he didn't say anything. And so rather than say to your, your child, your friend or whatever that comes in, how are you? What are they going to say? Fine. Every yeah. time. Every yeah. time they're going to say fine. Yeah. They may or may not be fine, but that's what they're going to say. Yeah. So what about we say, what was the most exciting thing that you did today that happened today? Mm. What was the hardest thing that happened today? Because then we can gauge their emotions. You know, are, are they able to feel things? Are they able to like work through difficult times versus I call it like this. And, and I've been there when we emotionally detach and we're just like flatlining, right? We're emotionally detached from life. The next step is physical detachment, right? Yeah. And I've been in that place where I emotionally detached with life. This was about 10 years ago, emotionally detached because it hurt too much. Yeah. The next step was physical. Unfortunately, I caught myself before I went into that really dark hole. Wow. I never thought of it as a pattern like that, but yeah. If we emotionally, we detach, then we f mentally detach, and then we physically detach. Yeah, that's definitely a pattern. To have emotional and, and physical connections. Uh, one of the things I think that, that COVID is doing is exacerbating the, the suicide rates and the depression and the isolation because we're being isolated. Yeah. Zoom, I think, is great in that, okay, I can see you better than just a text or a phone call. I can uh -huh. see a face. But the physical, the touch, which helps release the serotonin and to yes. know that, that you're important, that somebody cares about you. That's the scary part about the COVID is that we're being yeah. isolated. It's true. That, it, that scares me a lot. It gives me a lot of fear for sure. It's, I mean, it's why I started my TikTok. I mean, I just started doing TikTok and, and doing videos and helping kids out because I saw myself, like, I, I believe that God gave me this vision of myself going through all of my depression and all of the suicidal thoughts that I had and then going through it with COVID on top of it. Yeah. And in this dream, I didn't make it, you know? And so I just felt like, I can't imagine, like it was hard enough for me back then 
with all the things that I had to go through. Um, but now doing it on top of the isolation, um, I just felt this yeah. calling that I needed to help my fellow men and fellow yeah. youth. That's what I have right now. I feel this calling, you know, this suicide prevention, mental wellness, let's talk about it because, and that's not the way it always was. Um, five years before my son died by suicide, my father died by suicide and I could not talk about it. Even my best friends didn't know that that's how he actually died. The stigma and the shame around it, right? I couldn't oh. physically say it. And so I, I didn't realize it at the time, but I went into five months of severe depression where I would go to a meeting and I would take notes, but then I would look at the notes two days later and I would say, that's my handwriting, but I don't remember being in the meeting and I don't remember what I'm supposed to do with this. That's scary, right? Wow, when, that is really like, scary. Your life yeah. is like erased. And yeah. that's what I was going through. And so when my son died in March, 2019, I started to go into that black hole. And because I'd been there, I felt it. I yeah. felt oh, like I was slipping and I could have gone there so easily where I didn't talk. I stayed home. I just mm -hmm. wouldn't leave the bed. That's, that's where I wanted to go. Mm -hmm. But two things happened. First, I saw that the rest of my family was struggling so, so much that I realized if I went into a dark hole myself for five months, they might not be there when I came out. Mm, yeah. I, I didn't have that luxury. Yeah. The other thing that happened was that, that oh, within just a couple of days, three moms reached out to me. They had teenagers. These teenagers knew my son. And if you're familiar with copycat suicide, especially oh, amongst yeah. youth. Yeah. One, then the next, then the next, then the next. And I suddenly realized that this was not about me. It's not about what will my friends and neighbors think that I was a terrible parent because I didn't see this. I didn't know it wasn't about my son. It was about the fact that whether or not these kids chose to take their life, I, I couldn't dictate that. What can right. I dictate? What is the only thing I can control? It's Your myself, response. right? Yeah. And I realized that if I didn't speak out and these youth took their lives, I, at that point, I could not live with myself. Yeah. So I had to speak out. Um, the other thing that happened the day that my son died is we had our um, elders corn president came over. He has known us, you know, for 20 years. He knew our son. He was working with my husband in the elders corn presidency, he had been in the state presidency. So just a huge giant of a man. And he came over and gave us some blessings that night. He gave my husband a, a blessing and then he gave a blessing to me. And the, the first blessing, you know, starts out with comfort and he's talking, you know, talking to me about my relationship with God. And then he stopped and he said, Lark, you have a lot of work to do, a lot of work to do. And I'm in grief. I'm thinking, I'm thinking work like business, right? Because that's all my mind. I'm like, this is so inappropriate for you to tell me I have a lot of work to do, you know, when, right. when my son just died, right? Yeah. And it was through the next few days of these parents reaching out of my understanding that my work was to talk about suicide prevention. And you can just imagine, you know, having had experienced that with my father and now my son and so 20 months ago, if you had said to me, Lark, you're going to be talking about suicide prevention. You're going to be speaking on a platform. Oh, and guess what? You get to talk about God to everybody in the world. <laughs> yeah. And talk about your relationship and how that relationship helped heal. 
you know, I'm fairly open, but seriously, you know, suicide, family connections, telling my the world that my father suffered from bipolar his whole life and we never knew, um, talking about God openly. Uh, you know, I was a return missionary, but it's like, you know, some of my relationship with God is very private. That's kind of a, like a personal thing. And yet I'm like, well, apparently we talk about everything now. So, <laughs> yeah. I will tell you, talking about my son's suicide not only helped me heal from his suicide and understand him better, it has helped me heal from my father's suicide. And so that the, this whole myth, and I want to debunk about, you know, we can't talk about it. Yes, we can. And if we don't talk about it, then those people that are suffering, they say, I feel isolated. I'm the only one who feels this way. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not the case, right? No, no not at Everybody's all. Everybody's experiencing some kind of difficulty, especially right now. And, and that's what I said. Let me talk about it. And so as I started to talk about it and create a safe space to talk about it, so many people came to me that I would not have expected and said, I was in the hospital earlier this year because I attempted or 20 years ago, I attempted. And these are the Relief Society president, right? Yeah. You know, same yeah. struggles. And wow. so I wanted to help people understand that everyone experiences this at a different level and it's okay to reach out and say, I'm struggling. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, one of the myths that, I mean, we're, I, I just hear it so often in the church where it's like, or, or I used to. I don't know if I do anymore, but because it's becoming less of a stigma, thanks to people like you. Um, and what I hear a lot, or what I did hear, was this idea that uh, when somebody commits suicide, it dings their uh, credibility, or you know, somehow when they enter into heaven, they, you know, it's considered murder, or it's considered not good, right? The worst sin. Yeah, the yeah. worst sin. Yeah. Right. Mom, just a second. There we go. Well, and that's great. Uh, so what? So help me out here. Like, why? Why do people feel that way? And then how? What's the truth? Uh huh. So the reason I think people feel that way is that they have not been in that dark hole. They have not experienced depression to the point where they would consider taking their life. I think everybody says, oh, I wish, you know, life would just be done at some point, you know, that yeah, it's just, yeah. it's, but they just say it right. But they, they don't really mean it. They haven't come up with a plan and it's the ones that come up with a plan that, that they're seriously, that they are hurting so much. And this is what I liken it to. And I have been in that space before where if you cut your arm, you've got this huge gash, you go to the doctor, they give you some, some pain medication to stop that physical pain and they sew it up you know that at some point it's going to get better and it will be okay. Right. You, you right. kind of know that yeah. logically, right? Yeah. When someone is hurting inside. And like I said, I have been in that space where it hurts so bad inside that you have that physical pain, but you know, the doctor can't sew it up and you don't know if you will ever feel better again. What are the answers, right? Well, hopefully there's some medication and, and finding some ways to make it better. And, and that's what I want parents and other people to understand is like, if your child is struggling or if your loved one is struggling, your friend is struggling, say, I will stand by you. I will be with you until we figure this out. We will find a way to have to get rid of that pain. They are experiencing so much pain. That's why you don't say to them, Oh, are you going to, are you, are you going to, you know, are you going to do something to hurt yourself? 
No, because they're already hurting. They want to stop the pain. They want to stop the pain so badly they will do anything, including ending their life. So they are not in their right mind. They, 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 they mentally are not there. They have overcome our natural um, innate desire to preserve our life. So they are not in their right mind. Elder Renland um, did a, a video on this. And if somebody is struggling with understanding suicide and how it relates to the gospel, I would encourage you to Google that, you know, Elder Renlund talking about suicide and, mm -hmm. and how we feel. Because for so long, even uh, it's coming up on seven years now with my father's suicide, it was kind of like, oh my goodness, the whole stigma and just things going around. Let's not focus on how they ended that. Let's focus on, you know, how their life was or maybe what pain were they in? What were they struggling with that was so bad that they felt they had to end it? Because that's, we should have compassion on those people, right? Yeah. Yeah. The other thing is that after my son died, um, about eight months, nine months after, uh, a friend reached out and said, my sister, uh, very active in the LDS community, uh, has a gift to speak to those who have passed on. And, you know, I'm, I'm sometimes kind of leery about that. I'm like, oh, I don't want yeah. wizards, wizards that peep, right? <laughs> I think about that. I think about that. But I thought, well, she is active LDS. She's been giving a spiritual gift. Um, her brother has it. Her One of her parents has it. It's kind of come down in their line. I'm like, I'm willing to listen because I felt like I, I wanted a connection there with, with my father and my, my son who had passed on. And I thought, yeah. I'll try it. And I, I'll just see how it feels in my spirit, right? Yeah. And I did it. And I, I will tell you, in talking with her, it, it brought a lot of a relief and, and kind of um, connection and help. And she, she said things she used words that that she would not have normally used in her vocabulary that my father would have used or she's like is that a word i'm like yeah my father said that all the time you know <laughs> and then she would tell me things about my son and it was so interesting uh, at that time was i was starting to write the book but i really hadn't gotten it out and it was so interesting because i find agency is so huge in god's plan yeah. repeatedly my son said Mom, when you're ready to write this book, I will support you. I will help bring the families to you, not the individuals. I will bring the families to you who need to, need to be healed. Wow. And it was always not, it was not this, you have to do this. It was, if you're ready, when you're ready, that whole agency thing. The wow. other thing that my son told me through, through this um, sister was that, Mom, this has not stopped my progress, which you know, I was like, oh my goodness, it has not stopped his progress. He said, mom, I lost myself. I let negative thoughts come in and I lost myself and I had to lose myself to find myself. And now I go to people who are struggling with these negative suicidal thoughts and I try to help them. And if I can't help them and they do take their lives, I am there ready for them. And because they can feel my spirit and they know what I've been through, that I took my life, but that now I chose to move into the light. They call it complete their journey and move into the light because I have moved into the light. They, they know it and they know that it can be uh, the case for them too. And I think that's beautiful. The yeah. other thing that my father told me, you know, and I will tell you this, you, you guys know this, the relationship that I had with my son was so difficult. He would argue with me every day of my life. It he was not an easy child for me. You know, so <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
know, he was not an easy child. And yet I tried to teach him the gospel and, and he, he would turn from it. He would fight with me. Yeah. This is what my father told me is that for five plus years before my son died, he stayed in that dark place. He stayed in the, the thought where I can't have, I can't move into the light. I'm not good enough. I, he, he was angry that he had to go through his life with this bipolar that he had inherited from his mom. He had, you know, anger about that. Why did that have to happen? It, it affected my relationships. And so this anger and this lack of faith in Christ, he, my father told me because of what you taught your son, he was able to move from the dark into the light very quickly because he was able to grab onto that faith, kind of like Alma the Younger, right? finally grabbing onto that faith in Christ, my son was able to move into the light. And then he went to my father and helped him move into the light. And so I think we're all on a journey and we're here to help each other. Every person we come in contact with can help bring us closer to Christ if we choose to see it that way. Whether or not they're, I, I saw this woman in the car and I pulled up next to her and she looked at me with hard eyes, hard, hard eyes. And before I would have not felt anything. I'm like, well, whatever, you know, do your, do your deal. But that the hard eyes touched my heart, touched my soul. And I felt so much pain for her because I thought I've been in the hard eye stage where I was just so focused on doing things and anger and forcing and pushing. And her hard eyes hurt me and touched me for days. I thought about those hard eyes because that's sometimes the way we look at life. I have to get these things done. Yeah. Well, I'm going to tell you something. You don't have to get those things done. Yeah. Preserving relationships and loving other people. That's all life is about. And so I looked at her and, and how she brought me closer to Christ was I, I felt compassion for her and I felt I could, I could relate to her to where I had been. So every person in, on this planet has that opportunity to help you come closer to Christ in some way. I believe that. I totally believe that to be true. And those hard eyes, man, I've seen them so many times in my daughter recently that it's, it's scaring me actually that I need to rescue her and help her. Okay, so you can't rescue her. You're not her savior, honestly, okay? Your only job is to love her no matter what she chooses. And this is really hard, right? Because we have conditional love. But what does the savior do? He teaches us to love them. Are they the harlot or are they the leper? Or have they brought this sin upon themselves? We just love them, but we're not there to save them. And we parent them based on maturity, not on age. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we parent them and we love them, but it doesn't mean that they avoid consequences. That's not possible, right? right? But we allow them to learn because what if what they have to go through is going to help them get back to God? This And I'll tell you this, back when my son was 16 and and was you know i don't believe in god and it was even more confrontational with him about about church and and 
I stopped doing family prayer, right, with him or family or family scripture reading because he was so confrontational. Yeah. And I, I had a prayer with God and I said, I have done everything with this boy. I have done everything. Guess what, Heavenly Father? I'm going to give him back to you. <laughs> and whatever path he has to walk to get back to you, I'll endorse it. So at 19, when he takes his life, I'm having another conversation with God and I'm saying that wasn't the path. Yeah. Okay. Not, not what I thought. thought. That was not what I meant when I said the path. And yet here, here is how I look at it. This child who was in my opinion, the farthest away from God within a few years, he is the closest child to God. He mm. is the child that is now reaching out to his siblings to help them come to God. So we don't know. We can't judge other people, including our children. We don't know what path they are on. And maybe the path that they, they took is to help us. And I talk about this in my book, if you remember that the part where he had just turned 16, he was like, I don't believe in God. And I am walking down the hall and I'm having my favorite conversation I am raging about whatever my son has done for the day. That was like, I, you talk about a spiral, you know, I was like raging and I'm walking down the hall and, and the thought was, he's not the problem you are, well, which, you know, as a parent, you're like, uh-uh. Oh, <laughs> you know, when do we want to be called to repentance? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and it stopped me. And this vision opened up in front of my eyes and I saw me and my son in the pre-mortal existence. And this boy said to me, mom, you are going to have a lot of trouble becoming, being Christ-like, but I am going to help you. Wow. And I look at that, this boy named Christian, who at the time did not believe in God, was helping me develop because I realized that if he doesn't believe in God, then I need to treat him with more compassion. And I, instead of being the enforcer, I need to look at it as a missionary opportunity to teach him the gospel in a different way. And so it started slowly. Our relationship improved, thank goodness. You know, it wasn't perfect, but it had improved before he died. Okay. And then after he died, I, I am more compassionate. I am more patient. He has brought me to Christ in a way that I would not have been without his choices. And so I cannot fault him. I cannot say you shouldn't have done that because maybe his mission was to help me. And now my mission is to share his story in the hopes that people will make a different decision and the hopes that we can have more love and compassion towards other people because we don't know what they're, that, what they're hiding, what they're dealing with, we don't know and it's Absolutely. so important that we we stay on the planet. We all have an important mission, an important lesson to share with other people. And if we end our lives early, we haven't fulfilled our mission. Uh, isn't it amazing that God can turn not only lemons into lemonade, but dirt into lemonade? <laughs> right? I mean, it's just amazing that something so tragic, so horrible has brought you to such a humble and amazing place and i mean how is your relationship with god now versus when it was before 
Okay, so question. with everything that I had gone through before, I had come to a, a strong dependency upon God, strong dependency because of, like I said, all the things that had happened. And so fortunately that groundwork was there. But I will tell you this, the reality of my savior, of, of God, the reality before it was kind of like, yes, I believe that you'll, every, everything will work out okay. When I take the sacrament, the reality that my son can be resurrected, the reality that he has a plan that's beyond what I know yeah. And that he will open doors and provide a way for me to touch lives. I rely completely on him. Just completely. The other thing that's taught me is that these things that we go after in life, big house, fast car, the trips, you know, whatever kind of um, tangible thing, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Our relationships are so much more important than anything we can, can try to go after in life. It's just, it's really what Christ said. It's all about loving and creating relationships. And that's all that matters. And I feel like I have divorced myself in a lot of way from this consumerism, from always being on that treadmill of more, more, more. The other thing is that you know we're taught to prepare like uh food storage and and prepare i think spiritual is almost more important than physical because we can prepare physically in so many ways and yet with an earthquake or a flood it can be wiped out completely yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i would rather have created a dependency upon the lord to the point where i will do and go and be wherever you tell me to go do and be whenever and I trust that he will have me in the right place at the right time. And if that means that my life is over, then I trust that it will be okay and that I fulfilled my mission, whatever that is. It's, it's just a 100% trust that he's got, he's got it, right? Yeah. He's got it yeah. under control. Yeah. And that I don't need to stress or worry or be concerned about the externals what's going on outside my sphere. Mm -hmm. Wow. When you talk about relationships, I'm reminded of, I, we just did a biography on Abraham and, and his, he was all about the relationships too, right? He was definitely like, Lot, you choose. Lot, you, you, know, you you've been a mess and my, a bane in, yes. uh, in my life, but you are going to go and, and, and you, you get to choose this. And, and then he was like, Sodom and Gomorrah, um, we love these people. Don't kill them yet. Wait, let me find some goodness, right? He was always about the relationship. And they loved him too, no matter what they, what they were doing. And it made me, it really affected me to the point where, because on my mission, I was all about the work. And I was already a nurse and my, and my mission president came to me and says, I'm so glad you're a nurse because we have a lot of six sisters out there. And I'm like, don't you dare put me with six sisters, right? I am about the work. <laughs> I was not happy. So I forced those ladies out of the house. I was made, I was, we're working, we're working, we're going. And, and I've had to repent of that, right? It's not about the work. The work is good and you should be about the work too. And it's not, it's not 
the worst thing, but the relationships are far more important than, than the work. We call that the hustle nowadays. Yes, exactly. Cause seriously, that's what we think. So, you know, I I'm on my mission and I have to work. I mean, I was the same way. Like, you know, I had, I had so little compassion for my companions that didn't want to uh, work, you know, I, me I, either. <laughs> I did not know off your little lazy thing, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and sometimes I, when I was the junior companion saying that to the senior, you know, I'm like, we're here to work. Um, I said that to a couple of elders, you know, <laughs> calling them out, right? But what if the work was your developing your faith and trust in God and your testimony? What if the work was was helping your companion develop faith and trust? Yeah. Maybe that was the work, you know, and we kind of missed it. Yeah. And and that's the thing I want to say is like we just love. Um, so so it's often easy to say that we love, especially as parents. But then what really happens when when things happen in the life, right? So. Uh, a month ago, our my youngest daughter, 19 years old, she turns 20 next week, right? So she's she's she lives at home though, and you know, you're in our house, our rules type thing. She came home to show us the very cool tattoo she got on the side of her foot. Oh wow. And it was the mountains. <laughs> and two years ago, that would have been like no bueno, right? That oh, would have been yeah. no we don't do that. Let me tell you, I didn't feel any like sharp piercing darts. I felt no need to control her. I felt, I felt nothing. And I just said to her, isn't that nice, honey? I know you love the mountains. And I didn't feel that. And, and as a parent, you have to remember, it could be worse. I mean, she could have tatted her face. She could have put it on her hands, right? And I'm thinking to myself, at least you can cover it with a shoe, right? <laughs> so, so you just have to think, is that going to affect her eternal salvation? and just let it go right yes yeah. and, and if the neighbor sees the tattoo don't worry about what the neighbor thinks yeah. about me it's not my deal right yeah beautiful yeah well said it's about the relationships and things yes. yeah yes. you know, have to look at it that way and say are we willing to sacrifice our relationship with the most important people because of our ideology because we believe something should be a certain way yeah and shame on us for doing that. Yeah. You know, when we could be at bigger fault, like God called me out. He's not yeah. a problem. You are, right? Mm -hmm. Seriously. Oh, and here's another thing that I, I just want to put out there because I know both of you have said this, and I used to say this too. When we say committed suicide, we need to watch our language because language has power. Committed sounds like somebody committed a crime, right? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So if we can remove the word committed suicide and say um, took their life, chose to take their life or chose to end their life or died by suicide, um, because uh. then it helps us understand that, that it wasn't a crime. It was, they were at a point in life where they were hurting so badly that that innate desire to live and preserve their life, they overcame it. They, they were just like, I cannot do this anymore and to have compassion. So that's another thing I try to help people understand is the words that we use that are so important. Thank you. Absolutely. That's a great, good definition to, to change in both of yes. our lives, right? <laughs> yeah. Like I said, most people don't say, I said that through my father's, you know, I just, I didn't know you said something else. Yeah. And then when my son died, somebody, somebody mentioned that to me and I'm like, oh, you're right. Yeah. Wow. I love that. Thank you for pointing that out. Appreciate that. Well, Lark, I know that you have other programs or things that uh, help to help other people in, in case that they need that. So how can how can our audience get in touch with you? So you can look on my website, which is larkdeangalley.com. 
And I had so many parents say, thank you for sharing your message. What have you learned? What are resources? Because, you know, yes, let's be aware and let's prevent it, but literally what can we do? And so I started a tab on my website that talks about different resources. A clinical therapist and I, a psychologist, uh, Dr. Jenkins and I are putting together programs that people can take. He already has a phenomenal parenting program. Phenomenal. Mm -hmm. I love what he says, you know, love them no matter what. Mm-hmm. And then we're, we're doing some modules on suicide prevention specifically, you know, when you're in the mental wellness and you don't, you're not taking care of yourself. And then we have module that we're doing on grief because grief is huge. And we move through right. different stages and different, like my husband, here's, here's my book. My husband and my younger daughter have not read my book. They are oh, not wow. at a place where they can do that. And I have to allow them that they are their space and they need to allow me my space to share my story because that's what I feel called to do. Um, In the beginning, as I was talking to people, you know, my family would said, mom, do you have to talk to strangers about this? Do you have to like tell everybody everything? And I thought a minute, I'm like, check in. I'm like, yes, yes, I do. I do have to tell people I have to warn them because if I can prevent one parent from experiencing what my husband and I went through, if I can help one youth, young, one young adult, one, uh, one parent themselves make a difference, change their thinking. I've changed the world with just changing one person. Yeah, yeah. And that's my goal. That's my vision is to help people make a, the, the choice to stay on this planet. And you've already helped. I mean, I've read the back of your book too, where it talks about all of those kids that say, thank you for sharing your story for this. And it stopped me from committing. Oh, trade, I did it again. (laughs) (laughs) From taking their life. Yeah. I'm getting those stories now as people are reading my book. They're, they're, they're hearing these stories and they're coming and, and they're saying, thank you. This, and just the book, you know, it can help in parents in their relationships with their children. It can help mm-hmm. children who are struggling it because they can see the grief and the pain that it caused our family. I don't think most, most adults are thinking, oh, you know, I'm, I want to get back at my family. They're thinking I'm a burden. My family will be better off without me. Yeah. yeah. True. No, it it's not. not. And, and, and then those people that are grieving, how do I get past this? That's also my message to those people that maybe have lost someone to suicide or not, but there's a way that we can move forward. It's not easy, but it's a way to move forward. And those are the audiences that I want to address. And so people are coming to me and they're telling me of their experiences. Yesterday, a friend of mine said, I read your book and I cried, which, you know, if people cry and she said, I have a brother and a daughter who remind me of your son. I am going to be more compassionate. Mm. That's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. And what a great word, compassion. Compassion is so much more than, than love even. Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. being willing to say, I'm going to come to where you are yeah. and yeah. allow whatever it is you're doing yeah. and still love you. And still love you no matter what. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Well, Lark, it's been such a joy to be with you. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you, thank you for being willing to talk about hard topics because, you know, some people turn away and they don't want to address it. And yet it's a reality. It's suicide is the number one killer of youth in Utah. Wow. It's the number two killer nationwide. Wow. I thought I was a good parent. I thought wow. I would try to do everything in my power to help my children. And yet I did not know what was the number one killer 
I didn't even know it. I, I, I heard about it, that it was happening at schools out there, not, not at home, yeah. not in my house. Right. 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 Exactly. Especially not at my house. Yeah. But guess what? In my house. And if you check in with your children, you might find that they're struggling a lot more than you ever realized. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. We, we actually do check in quite a bit as far as our family is concerned, because <laughs> we've had, now. yeah, now. And also with their friends, you know, their friends have, have t- taken their lives and stuff. It's been really hit our, our family hard. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I didn't know this, but when my father died by suicide, the rest of our family increased our chances and risk of suicide by 50%. I didn't know that. Because of, because you held it in? No, because it's an option now. Well, so-and-so oh. did it. And, and that's why I know I kind of went there. I know oh. that, that my husband and my children went there. Well, Christian did it. So maybe I should do it too. Wow. And so it, 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 if, if that has happened in your family, you need to be doubly vigilant. Yeah. Good, good insight. Yeah, I had no idea either. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I'm happy to share all of these hard things that I've learned so you don't have to. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I appreciate I that. Appreciate yeah, I appreciate that. Well, great. Well, thank you so much. And we will put this up soon. And I'm so excited to to be able to share your message too. Thank you, Tresta. Yeah. Thanks, Isaac. Yeah, no problem. Have a good one. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. This has been Gospel Theory, a Call to Learn audio podcast. For more podcasts like this, visit our website at calledtolearn.com forward slash podcast.